How are we there, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Smashing Crossbar podcast. I'm your host, Josh, joined again by Ben. How are you, buddy? I'm good, mate. It's been a decent week. How have you been flying halfway across the country? Oh, fabulous, mate. Freaking up to Newcastle to watch the boys get beat. Don't know why I do it to myself, but, you know, I love the club, I suppose. So another loss, which I thought we should have freaking got at least something out of. Um, but again, you know, what do you, what do you say as a Jets fan of two and a half thousand people that decided to rock up? Mm, that's you know, sad. What is it? We got robbed or freaking, you know, we weren't good enough or the players were shit or the coaching staff's shit or, you know, whatever the fans... <laughs> Put in the freaking social medias this, these days is freaking ridiculous. Um, Why well, don't go anywhere near it? That's it, mate. At the end of the day, we just weren't good enough. We just weren't good enough again. We just let them slip in and they buried a chance and we didn't take some of our own. So at the end of the day, it cost us and here we are again, still sitting bottom. Um, yeah. Other than that, welcome to everyone in the chat. Big shout out to our major sponsor, Gabriel Optometrist at Jesmond there in Newcastle. Be sure to go check those guys out for all your eye care needs. Um, so, yeah, on tonight's show, we are lucky enough to be joined by a Perth Glory legend, 200-plus um, games for the club, pretty much never didn't really go anywhere else, loved it over there, so he stuck it out there other than a little couple of loan deals and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, Jamie Harnwell, Perth Glory legend. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well, thank you. How's, um, how's Perth treating you, mate? Perth's always treating us well, mate. You know what it's like over on this side of the country, or maybe you don't. But um, <laughs> no, we're we're going okay over here. We're the secession movement is going along well from the rest of Australia. So no, life's life's going okay. Yeah, I'd like to say I know we know what it's like, but you, your um, your government won't let anyone in, so it's <laughs> it's hard to get over there, mate. It's, Never it's been. A it's a scary place to go at the moment. You just don't know whether you, whether they're going to freaking lock it up, especially with Melbourne four cases today. It probably. Yeah. Probably be shut come midnight. <laughs> Get over there. So <laughs> risk, risky business. Um, but yeah, obviously you've been obviously a bit on Fox Sports this um, this season. Obviously with the per- covering a few of the Perth games. What's it? What have the boys been like over there, mate? Obviously you're still you know you're Perth boys. So obviously you've still got to have a bit of a soft spot for them. What do you reckon, mate? Are they going to make the six? Look, you know, if you'd asked me this probably a couple of weeks ago, I would have said no chance. Um, the way they, they've, the results they've got, the way they've played uh, across a pretty tough stretch of games, albeit all at home, but, you know, they're going from Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday for mm-hmm. a few weeks now. They've put themselves back in the mix. It's some tough, it's a tough road trip they've got to do now, though. Wellington, um, Brisbane, and then finishing up uh, against you guys in Newcastle all across a week is a, is a tough ass. So, Look, I'd like to see them get in. It'd be great to be able to see Diego Castro in particular sort of extend his glory career if this is the the end of it. Um, but, it, you know, in reality, geez, they're going to have to put a big shift in. Yeah, well, currently, what, currently two points out of the six. Um, I think six spots currently. They're for, who's that at the moment? I can't remember now, but they're, they're a game up in front of you guys. So, um, yeah, time will tell, mate. It's, as you said, it's and the form these guys have had, it's Pretty good, so only time will tell, and we'll find out, I guess, as you said, in a bit over a week, what the go is there. Um, before we touch on, obviously, your early career, we're, we're here, we may as well touch on it, and yeah, as you said, Castro, um, I was going to get your thoughts on him in general, mate. What, what, do you, what do you reckon, mate? Perth legend, if you put him down into that category, he's been an absolute servant for the league as a whole, but um, as a Perth 
fan and obviously from let's go from a supporter's point of view, one of, one of the best. Oh, I think you'd, you'd have to say so in terms of footballing abilities up there with the very best that the club's ever seen, if not the the A League as well. Uh, you know, the one the one, and it's not even a question mark. I suppose it's a disappointment for himself is in terms of of trophies. Uh, you know, won the Premier's plate, uh, and you know that. Unfortunately, it's somewhat understated here in Australia about how important that is and um, how big that is, but not being able to go on to the the big dance, uh, being able to pick up the championship uh, is would be a disappointing thing for him. Um, and it's something that I suppose a lot of glory players are now ranked against in terms of that success that the club used to have. But but as an individual, absolute joy to, to watch uh, play, his ability, skill, composure. His enthusiasm for the game as a 30, 38, 39-year-old um, still is incredible. And, and his humbleness as a, as a person um, without knowing him, uh, uh, you know, outside of football or Fox Sports, but certainly the way he speaks, the way he uh, interacts with with people and, and the supporters, um, he comes across fantastically well-balanced and a very humble person as well. So he's certainly up there with the best that Gloria have had. Yeah, no, it, I, it's definitely the best I've seen play there. And as I said, I've been lucky enough to watch plenty of football over, over my time. And um, there's definitely been some greats. Obviously, you know, you can't go past your Bobby Despotowski self. And, you know, you put those boys, put definitely put Castro into that category, um, especially strike power, Bobby's and things like that. Um, oh. <laughs> I wouldn't be putting yeah. myself in the same category as Castro, that's for sure. <laughs> Maybe front, a number of games I've got in, but that's about yeah. it. <laughs> not up front. We won't put you up front. Uh, we'll leave in the back line. Um, but obviously, what I want to talk to you about, obviously, is one of the hot topics back in 2000 was that NSL grand final. Um, <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen it, and you can probably, surely it's on YouTube somewhere, at least highlights of it. Um, pretty much one of the best in it, best grand finals in Australian football history, as far as I'm concerned. Um, talk me through it, mate. I know it's a long, that was a long time ago. Um, three nil up at halftime. You scored the third one heading into halftime. At halftime, friggin' surely you thought you had that one, yeah? Yeah, but look, you know, I would have been, was I think, 20, just about to turn 21 at the time. It was my second season. Playing, uh, playing for glory as well to to be involved in in such an occasion. You know, one of the best, if not the best, game I've ever been involved with. And it's it's hard to say that when you're on the receiving end uh, um, of what happened. But certainly over time, that that mellowed, and the fact I got to win a couple more helped as well uh, off the back of that. But uh, look, it just it, you know, it's an incredible occasion. Forty forty two and a half odd thousand people um, crammed in at Subiaco Oval. Uh, there's a lot of nervousness going into the game. There's two teams that never won it before. You know, I was worried about my place in the team. But, you know, we'd won in the semi-final. Had players like Lubo Milicevic, uh, Edgar Jr., uh, um, you know, myself, Gareth Navin, Dion Valley, the, you know, a huge number of players available. Uh, unfortunately for us, it was, well, unfortunately it was Gareth Navin. You know, club captain who was left on the bench uh, and that's a whole, you know, different story, I suppose. But then, to, you know, to go in 3-0 up, you're, you're absolutely bubbling along. Um, you know, it's hard to remember bits and pieces around the the team talk. I know that there's sort of some sort of stuff around. Bernd Stanger was telling us to go score six and to 
to, to keep going, but you always knew that you know Wollongong were a good, really good side. Um, sure, young Matty Horsley, Chipperfield, Paul Reed, you know, a huge number of great players that they had, um, and went on to be very successful as well. Um, and you know, the probably the thing we'd say is we didn't make changes early enough when Wollongong started to gain the ascendancy. Uh, gave them a a really soft goal. I think it was might have been the first one. Was a free kick when uh, Ivan Ergic played played Matty Horsley on side and scored. Uh, and from that point, you just you know you knew you were in for a fight. We had our chances. We could have put the game to bed. Um, didn't. And yeah, when uh, Paul Reid scored the the third, that was a bit of a sickening moment. Obviously, to take us through to extra time. Um, again, you know, in ex- in penalties, extra time was probably a bit of a, I don't know, drab affair. It's hard to remember exactly, but yeah. penalties, we had two ch- opportunities to win uh, the game with Alistair yeah. Edwards and Edgar Jr. And both of those players, I would have put my house on scoring. Uh, I think, you know, ABC were interviewing Nick Tarner, the owner at the time, basically saying it's a done deal when one of them was stepping up to, to take the penalty. So it was uh, it just an incredible, incredible game um, and, and made... Perth Glory, something what it was, you know. There was that uh, that hunger, that um, that disappointment. I remember, you know, the fans crying after the game uh, in the pub. It was just something that the club had to rebuild from, had to get over, and it took a couple of years, but uh, then made that next one so much sweeter. Yeah, got there in the end a couple of years later. Done the double, obviously. Went, obviously, the main one, winning the last final NSL Grand Final before. Yeah. But um, obviously, as you were saying, the penalties, you know, extra time. Um, that you go into penalties, obviously, you know, you get your five penalties, probably your best, and what the coach thinks anyway, your best five penalty takers, and then both sides, all five, all five finishing it, and um, you go in level after all five pens. It's like shit. <laughs> I don't sure, want to take sure. the next one. <laughs> yeah, like surely it's yeah. You know, you sort of got to be thinking back then. It's like you know, three nil up. And here we are. We're now on a struggle street. But as you said, two um, two great saves, obviously from Gong goalkeeper and that, and that was pretty much the end of it. Chipperfield ended up getting player of the match, and Wollongong went on to win it. So yeah, but obviously again, as you said, it it, it was an amazing, amazing game to watch. As I said, Chad, if you haven't seen it, go. You'll find it somewhere. You'll find if you can't find the full game, you'll find highlights and stuff of it. It was absolutely cracking from start to finish. Um, even three goals at half time and then Wollongong their comeback. It was something special. Obviously not for a Perth fan, as you said as you yeah. said <laughs> Um obviously we go from that and obviously you as you said, you won won a few eventually. Um and let's be honest, obviously I think everyone um thirty two, you know, you saw you you know, we were still we were pretty young back then, but you know, Perth's dominance, you know. They were so strong, you know, in those final couple of years. Um, what was it like for you guys transitioning from that NSL to the A League? Was there much, much change from your point of view, or was it pretty much smooth transition and ways went? No, it was a, it was a huge change. Um, if you know, you speak about the last couple of years of the NSL, we were, you know we were a full time club. There weren't many other clubs in the in the NSL that were full time. Um, you know, we, we had the targets on our back. We knew that. We knew that clubs loved coming over to play at Perth Oval um, yeah. in front of big crowds, noisy crowds, good atmosphere. Um, but the league around us was was dying. 
uh, in a, in essence. So those yeah. those great rivalries we had against um, you know Newcastle was one that, that made the transition. The the South Melbournes, the Wollongongs, um, you know Northern Spirit for a short spell as well. Uh, Parramatta Power when they came in, you know they, when we go away from home we wouldn't see the same sort of crowds that we did, uh, and you knew there had to be some sort of change, but it. And it probably came at the wrong time um, for for glory. I think if it happened at a couple of years before, uh, that excitement uh, would have continued with the you know the club and what was going on. But by that stage, we, the club had been beating their head against the wall in terms of trying to make sure it was more professional and uh, marketed well and all those sort of things. And the you know the break the the eighteen months or so that it was from the NSL to the A League was really hard for for the club to maintain momentum. You also then had, you know, new clubs being formed with uh, good resources that were desperate to make a, a mark in their in their respective markets. The Victory, Sydney, um, all these teams were coming in and and you know doing what Perth Glory had done previously and and being professional, having good training facilities, of doing all these things. And and as a club, we we didn't stay ahead of the pack. We we dropped back. Um, you know, it was. It was difficult to accept. It was a different group of players. There wasn't the same camaraderie, I suppose, and a group that had grown together, had won things together. That started to splinter off and to leave as, as some players got better offers elsewhere or had gone overseas or, or, or retired altogether. So um, it was a real challenge for us going into that first A-League season and it proved that way with, with how we went. Um, you know, we were never... The, the leading lights, we were, I think we are in about fourth spot with a couple of games to go or when, um, when Steve McMahon left us, might have even been mid-season and then then drifted out of the, the finals race and for mm. someone, for myself and for a club that just expected success and uh, just, you know, expect is probably the wrong word or thought that we would always be successful, the work was always put in but uh, that was then a, a tough thing to swallow that, you know, we weren't guaranteed to finish in the finals that you weren't going to necessarily have these big games at Subi Oval or wherever it might be. And uh, and that was a difficult thing for the club to to get over and it took a, a fair amount of time before we did finally make the finals. Yeah, it was, yeah, I said it was, it was hard to, you know, um, just, just think that Perth just, they dropped, you know, they just were never really in it. As I said, from so, so much high, obviously, the and later end, the NSL and stuff like that, and as you said, the players, stuff these guys had, and then for it just to drop, to die essentially, um, yeah, it was hard. Obviously, even as a you know, not a Perth fan, obviously you, know, you can't born born and bred, but at the same time, knowing what Perth were capable of, and then for it never to happen, it was always, you know, you always, I don't know, I don't know about Ben, but I always had like this little soft spot. You know, you wanted to see him do something, especially from the history they had. Yeah. Um, and let's be honest, who wanted, who wants to see Melbourne do well or see, you know, stuff like yeah. that? <laughs> You'd rather see a, you know, it's obviously last, uh, the last, or the last couple of seasons. It's, it's been good, you know, it's been good to see them back up to where they need to be and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, obviously you finished up um, midway through. Obviously, you know the NS, uh, the M- A League, A League. <laughs> um, what were, you, what were your final seasons like there, mate? How how did that all go down? Were you because you weren't that you weren't that old, were you, when you retired? No, no, I was um, thirty three. Yeah, uh, when I retired, I, the you know the past three 
probably four years, realistically, from probably the second year of the A League, um, yeah. was a challenge for me. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, Ron Smith came in and didn't really fancy me as a as a centre back, um, and was you know sort of knew that uh, I wasn't necessarily on his plans. I was lucky enough I got moved up front and scored a couple of goals, which um, prolonged my time, um, especially with, with Ron anyway, and um, stuck around. Did 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 enough, scored enough goals to to stay in and around the team for a period of time. Um, when Dave Mitchell took over, that was sort of a new lease of life for myself. Um, the players that were coming in, you know, the likes of Jacob Burns, Milos Tujovskis, uh, Chris Coyne, Andy Todd. You know, you'd started to think and see that. Well, hang on, no, I think we're we're back in. You know, yeah. and Mitch maybe you know feel good about. My spot in the squad uh, felt important again, um, and was looking forward to, to continuing to play. And you know, we had a great start. I think it was my last season uh, with you know Robbie Fowler had joined us as well. And I think after five six games, we were top of the league. And then for whatever reason, um, the bubble just just completely burst, and we couldn't we couldn't win a game. We couldn't buy a game, um, and that that really you know after thinking that we were going to get there, having our first taste of finals. Football, I think, the year before, um, you know, I was playing an important part early in the season um, and then you start to struggle out a couple of little calf twinges, which is an old man's injury, I got told very quickly <laughs> that season as well. Um, and then we just, it was just a free fall, unfortunately. Um, Dave Mitchell got moved upstairs into more of a, a TD type of role and, and Ian Ferguson took over um, and was looking to rebuild. So, you know, I was pretty low down in the list of priorities of of re-signing for the following season. Um, there was a couple of sniffs from over east about or, or overseas continuing my career, um, but it, I just I wasn't really enjoying the football um, yeah. at that time. I'd, I'd done the travel, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard slog from Perth every second week you're on a plane for, you know, a minimum of three or four hours. Um, and it just got to the point where I wasn't enjoying. I actually got sent off um, my second last game playing against Central Coast. And Matty Simon was jumping up for a header, and saw him. I saw him coming, and just threw my elbow out and caught him a cracker across the chin, and got sent off. Um, and as I walked off the pitch, you know, normally I would have been fuming and, and filthy at the referee or at Matty or at myself or or something, and I just I, I couldn't muster that emotion or that that disappointment. I, I came home that night and sort of spoke to my wife and just sort of said, I think that's it. I said, I think I'm, I'm done. It's, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and that, that was pretty much my, then my decision. So glory would probably say that I wasn't going to get re-signed anyway, but uh, I, I walked in and said, look, no, nah, that, that's no. me. I'm, I'm done. Um, and, you know, I had the opportunity to start working in football with football West and, uh, doing some stuff that I that I wanted to continue and just felt it was the the right the right thing to do. I could have probably pushed another another year or two um, out of my career and gone to you know I'd obviously go to Singapore and other bits and pieces, but it was uh, it just felt to be the the right decision. Yeah, no, absolutely. Welcome Ben, mate, into the chat, um, and thank you to, to the guys who obviously have, are now hosting this on their YouTube and Twitch. Fantastic. Um, let, let's be br- let's be brutally honest. An elbow to Matty Simon is not a red card offence. 
I think I chipped his tooth as well as what I got told. I don't know if that's true. Or not, but, uh, it, it wasn't a nice way to, yeah. And I was quite lucky. There were three games, three games left in the season. Two games. It wasn't long. And I, if I got a three week suspension, I would have missed the final home game. So I, I was lucky. I only got two weeks. So I got to play at home. For the last time, the last and then time. actually the final game of the season was against Newcastle. And I don't mean to be disparaging all guys, but I looked at it and went, nah, I don't fancy that one. I'll, <laughs> I'll just uh, I'll sign off at home at this one, thanks. <laughs> uh, wizard or Woo Woo, maybe we were free free two somewhere. Um, royalty out there. Um, yeah, obviously you talked before you finished your career, and you said you were sort of, you, know, you, you said you were starting to get on the outer and stuff like that. You, um, you made a quick trip over to... With Super League, is, with that is that possibly the reasoning behind that? Of obviously on the outer, and it was sort of a an opportunity come about, sort of get out. Yeah, that was um, what was that? Probably a year or two earlier. It had yeah, something been bubbling on for 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 a couple of years. I'd I'd been over on trial for Vaduz. We were playing in the Swiss Second Division. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they so they flew me over. Had a week's trial. Did well, and then then they changed manager. Um, and the chance came about, I think it was the end of Dave Mitchell's first season, um, to go. And I'd always wanted to, you know, I had a short spell at Leighton Orient that wasn't particularly successful from a from a team or a, or a personal point of view and always wanted another challenge. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to, to Liechtenstein or the Dutz, but you're sitting in the Swiss Alps. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Uh, and it was just an opportunity to go somewhere else and play football for, for three or four months. The, the A-League had finished. There was yeah. nothing much going on and, and hold me back so um jumped the opportunity won the Liechtenstein cup i think it was the first aussie to do so which isn't hard when you're the, you're the only professional team playing against amateur sides in the yeah. country um but we got promotion to the to the swiss super league and that that was the first time that had happened in the club's history um i was you know lucky enough in the in the final game played played pretty well uh we had to get a point out of the last game against the bottom side and we just yeah we dug out a nil nil draw and made a couple of good tackles and what have you so that was a just a, a great time. Um, my wife had come over. I had my then two year old daughter, so we're living in a one bedroom place halfway up the Swiss Alps in you know winter and snow and what have you. So I had a had a great three or four months over there. Mm. Yeah, no, I was about good. to say, since then have turned into a bit of a yo yo team in the Swiss Super League. Yeah, yeah, they have. Yeah, they've it, always look, sort of been up and about. Yeah, it's a small town, um, lovely little stadium, you know, crowds around 1,500, 2,000 when, when I was there. Um, but it, yeah, it's just so, so much money in that, in that country as well as a, mm. a nice little tax haven um, in, in some of those places. But just, yeah, good people really enjoyed that. And, and that was, yeah, that was the start of their yo-yo, I suppose. I managed to get them up the first season. Um, I think I played about 13 games or so. Uh, you know, they spoke about, me potentially returning. I had another year or two on my contract at Glory. Um, wife had become pregnant and uh, with, us, with our second and stuff. So for different reasons, it didn't work out. But um, something that you know sits in sits in the game room is that uh, is a, the you know the, the championship medal from that uh, Swiss second division, which is something uh, you know I cherish uh, just as much as what the uh, the Glory Championships one were. Absolutely, take a, take what you can, especially any chance. You know, obviously an Aussie. And dreaming of foot, you know playing professional football, you can get a chance anywhere to get overseas. You know, you, you take it with both. You take it, absolutely. Um, well, obviously, you finished your career and everything else. Um, went and played a bit at Sorrento, obviously where you pretty well started your 
junior career and stuff like that. Uh, then got into a bit of coaching. So obviously you've done a bit of you've done a bit of coaching. You went to well, you were at Sorrento there, obviously um, currently. Bit of what you had the Perth Glory Women um, and the Adelaide United Women as well. Um, yes. We'll talk a bit about obviously that that per the 2014, 14, 13, one I think it's fourteen, fourteen um, Perth Glory side there where he's where he's won that he's coming or well, he didn't win the final obviously but you mm. had premiers um with however many games that was twelve games or yeah the season it was bonkers uh, but but the squad yeah the squad you can't go past that squad like you could your for uh, your forwards uh who else was in there. Kerr, Kerr was obviously there, superstar now. Um, can't remember who was who else was there. The oh uh, yeah, Kate Gill, uh, yeah, you know, Gill, Asian yeah. Player of the Year, Clep McCallum. Um, that was her final season. Um, uh, you know, and Matilda as well. Mackenzie Arnold, who's now at West Ham. West Ham, uh, yeah. Lana, Lana Kennedy. Yeah. Now at Tottenham, uh, Shalina Sadorsky, the Canadian international, who's also at Tottenham, uh, and Caitlin Ford. At Arsenal, so yeah, you look back and just you know, unbelievably talented squad. Um, some really great support by some of the unsung players uh, through that squad as well. Elicit the video, long-time servant Mariana Tabane, Shannon May, um, Sarah Carroll. You know, the, and, you know, ones underneath Sean Billum. There's just it was just such oh. a really good group. Um, yeah. Broke a number of records and probably the the disappointing. Thing you know is you know Melbourne City came into the league the following year, um, and I would have loved to have seen you know those that team against Melbourne City um, to challenge what Melbourne City did that following season was unbelievable. They were a you know great team, huge lot you know huge number of Matildas, well organised, great resources, but um, uh, you know that that team that squad was just incredible. It was an absolute pleasure to coach and. And just disappointing on that, you know, we had our worst game that we played all season, probably in the in the grand final, and just oh. never clicked, which um, would have been a nice way to do. And I know, you know, Kate Gill finished after that game. Clint McCullum would have been, you know, Kate's a good, uh, proud Newcastle and Novacastrian yeah. originally as well. Um, so just disappointed for those girls that they weren't able to sign off with a with a W League Championship medal. But um, you know, they broke so many records that season. It was just it was just a joy to watch. Uh, at times, and uh, without really, you know, how do you how do you coach Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford? What to do? Yeah, you, you know, you don't. You just there's the ball, there's the goal. Um, off you go. Well, that that brings me to my next question. Was the simple is the simple one of, you know, there's no one in Australia who doesn't know who Sam Kerr is these days and her ability, her skill, her drive. You know, how much she wants to win and you know stuff like that. But what was she like in the change rooms? How much? How much of a bigger, how much of an impact does she play in a squad? Look, I think she she certainly grew um, through that time, and when she later became captain of Perth Glory, she you know she's always a bubbly character, um, infectious. Even at training, wanted to win, just you know doing some stupid stuff at times, diving on you know twenty balls laid out, and she would go do the superwoman dive across the top of them and see how far she can roll. Um, <laughs> But they're just, yeah, it's just a really good group. And, and you had senior players like Kate Gill, like Colette, um, you know, guiding and managing Sammy. Um, she learned a lot from that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, she, she was a 
pleasure to coach. She, she wanted to learn. She wanted to get better. And you know, when you, when you jokingly say you don't need to teach them anything, you're always just trying to affect little runs that she can make and and uh, you know be a little bit cuter in in some of the stuff that she does. But um, you know, to see her rise is yeah, absolute credit to herself. You know, she, she was always a special player, um, but she's just gone on to show how good she she actually can be. Um, yeah. And it's you know, it's nice to. to to have been able to coach her and to to spend you know the six months or so, and, and not just with her, but you know a lot. Of, I'll look back fondly and watch those girls who are now in the UK playing. Um, to have had you know some interaction with them and to uh, to have played a part in what they've well not even played a part they've done it themselves, but to to be able to be a part of what they've done is um, is you know is very pleasing and uh, you know better than than winning the medals in some ways as well. Well, at the end of the day, you wouldn't have got there without your coaching ability. So don't take. <laughs> don't don't be short on yourself there. I think exactly. some people would argue that with the squad we had. <laughs> oh mate, <laughs> yeah, the best players in the world, but freaking some of the best players in the world can't be coached. <laughs> um, so obviously we we're going to quickly dive in on it because I know it's a tough raw raw um, story, but at the end of that season, everything that happened, take the grand final out of it, the squad, the season, everything. Um, you guys were then owned by was it Western Australia Football? Football West, yeah. Football yeah. West, yeah. Um, and then obviously Perth Glory have taken over the rights after that season and everything else. You obviously feel that, you know, you move on and let's get next season underway and who's staying, who's who's coming and going and you're looking forward to next season and then get told that you've got to reapply. Like, I don't know if anyone else knows this in the chat, like guys, like mm. one you've won the Premier's plate, you've got the squad, you've done everything, but you know, you make as you said, you make one, you have one shit game, and unfortunately, it happened at the grand final. Yeah. And then to be told after breaking records and stuff like that, you're being told you need to, to reapply for a job. You've got to reapply for a job that is yours currently. It's not vacant. It's yours. You're up against yourself. Yeah, you're up against yourself at this point. Um, Perth legend, as you know, as we keep saying, and w- what goes through your head there? Yeah, that was um, it yeah. was it was yeah, it was a difficult time. Uh, you know, I I work for Football West as well, so sort of those perfect synergies of me hmm. um, coaching Perth Glory women. I coach the underpinning NTC girls academy side as well. Um, you know, I did the budgets, you know, did the logistics and stuff. So I was pretty heavily invested across yeah. the program, what it meant, and and the effort that got put into it. Um, you know, I think effort, Football Australia, is our now FFA at the time, wanted the um, the A League teams to take back control of the W League to to have a you know a single club and a single point. And I, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, in in that point, but yeah, look. I mean, I wasn't under any contract. There was nothing that said I'm, you know, I had to coach the club the next year. But yeah, to be told that, um, you, you know, you need to reapply and your application will be considered. You know, you look back and you think, do you do you make the right decisions? Maybe I was a bit pig-headed and could have approached things a bit differently. But you know, yeah, for me, it was, yeah, it, yeah, it was it was the the culmination of you know four years I'd helped to build. The club up and come from you know some pretty tough times in in the first year of coaching. You know, we I still hold I think the rec, the uh, league record defeat of eleven nil um, against Sydney FC in my first season of coaching the W League. So you know that's something that lives with me for a, a long, long time. Um, but yeah, to, to then get told you've got to reapply. Yeah, it was a, it was a it wasn't a nice time 
for me. Um, I didn't think it was handled particularly well uh, by the club. And the the, you know, yeah, you know, they were going through a transition and they'd had their own challenges um, as well across that space and earlier with the, the salary cap and what have you that went along with that as well. So, yeah, it, it wasn't nice, but then I was, I was fortunate enough to, to be given a, another opportunity at Adelaide United and it was, you know, something completely completely different. Um, I hadn't considered moving away for coaching or anything like that. So to have that faith shown in me to go to another club to, to try and build and replicate what I'd done at Perth Glory was was great. Um, I learned a lot about myself at that time, you know, and I was probably lucky compared to a lot of professional footballers. I never spent too much time away from home. I wasn't without family or friends for, you know, six months, 12 months on end like some, some footballers have to do. Um, but that, you know, I spent a fair chunk of time on my own over in Adelaide um, working through my coaching and trying to build up a, a good bunch of girls over in Adelaide. And, um, you know, I think at the time that was the most successful season that Adelaide United had had. Uh, we just missed out on the finals without a single Matildas player. Um, some, you know, again, some some international players that have gone on to do very well and one's a current US international, Abby Del Kemper. So, mm. It's the sliding doors thing. I never would have got the opportunity to to do that, to experience it, to live in Adelaide for for six months uh, and see if what I could do actually worked outside of Perth. Yeah, yeah. As you said, it's one of those things. You you know, you, you've got to think though. You, you reapply. Sure, surely you've got the job. Yeah, you know I mean, like oh yeah. No, no disrespect to Bobby who came in, um, yeah. but it's like surely they're going to give him the job. But as you said, it's like. Why, why should I have to apply? Yeah, just tell me. You want to keep you on next season, or you don't. Oh, it's yeah. No, I'm with you. Don't. Yeah, I'd, I'd be pissed. I'd be vocal. I'd be like, oh, fuck oh, yeah. that. I'm not, not going through that shit. Um, you don't want me in, so see you later. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. You move on, and as you said, you went to Adelaide. Completely different um, ballpark over there. It's um, you know their youth over there is probably the best in the league. Opinion. Um, agree what, with they, that. what they can produce out of their youth system. Not, so, I don't know too much about obviously the women's side of things there, but they're they're males. Yeah, no, they had a great, really great system over there. You know, again, the the team was owned by Football Federation South Australia at the time. It wasn't Adelaide United, so they're they're trying mm. to do things as best they can while managing competing yeah. priorities. Um, but you know, I look at um, the Adelaide United team now, and there's still a couple of young players. Emily Condon's one who. Uh, played in, in the team that I had. Um, yep. There's a couple others as well that you see that have come through and, uh, you know, that again, that, that's a really pleasing thing to see that uh, there's still players there. My my family came over for three weeks and got absolutely spoiled rotten. Um, the kid, I think the eldest would have been, oh, geez, eight, eight or nine by then, so not particularly old. And, and the girls just, you know, absolutely took a shine to all, to all three of them. Um, yeah. You know, they still talk about... Those days of missing, um, you know, Georgia Campagnoli was one. She's still mm. playing now. Yeah. Um, Mariana Rajic, who's actually in AFLW now, you know, they still remember um, those times as well. So it was great for that. And it was great to be somewhat, you know, as much as I'm a proud Perth person and, and love WA, um, it yeah. was great to spend a bit of time elsewhere in Australia. And um, Adelaide was was great. I, I loved it. I got to focus on my coaching. The the setup was great in terms of the the venues and everything. And I just I just got to get on with the job. So um, it was 
you know, it was a challenge coming in. I, I don't know whether the, the CEO there expected me to bring Sam Kerr with me <laughs> over to Adelaide <laughs> or not. And I wasn't, wasn't able to do that. Um, but we made the best with, with what we had. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, obviously, we may as well finish up on the coaching scenario of, obviously, as you said, you're still coaching locally now. Sorrento, big club, um, FA Cup, uh, all that sort of stuff as well. Do you, do you see yourself coaching um, at a high at a higher level someday? Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd never rule it out. Um, yeah. I had a, you know, I've had a couple of opportunities to move into Asia uh, through assistant coaching roles and others um, with people I know. But the, you know, yeah. the timing I suppose was never quite right. The you know the three kids and not being a uh, you know an ex Premier League footballer with the uh, the wages they command is that you know we you know, most of the people who come out of the A League are still living with the realities of mortgages and. And what have you. So, you know, yeah. there's a bit of self-preservation there, I suppose, or yeah. want of a better word. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I love my coaching. I, I can't run around anymore. My body doesn't let me. So it gives me that chance to be back on the grass. Um, I enjoy what I do that couple of hours out of the day that I don't have to concentrate on on work or fixturing or anything else that goes on uh, around Football West. So it's, yeah, it's, it's never say never. Um, yep. But it, yeah, you know, as the kids get a little bit older and and less dependent on on mum and dad, and the opportunity to to see what else is out there certainly appeals. Um, and it's just you know trying to maintain relevance in the meantime. I suppose uh, the last thing you want to do is disappear for five years and then you come back and put your hand up and say, "Well, no, I want to coach," and uh, no one remembers who the hell you are anyway. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. No, no, no disrespect to our current crop at the, in the, at the Jets, but you know we'll, we'll take you, mate. Any time, any time. Ah, you leave me, leave me, my mate Craig Deans alone. I'll go a long way back with. Uh, no, we with love Deans. Deans. Yeah. Well, see, Deans is out of the women's job now, so freaking that's fine. <laughs> he's moved on. He's moving well, but no, again, nothing against, um, you know, yeah, coaching stuff and stuff like that. We'll, we'll, day, we'll, we'll gladly take Zads back. Oh yeah, yeah, Zakovich. <laughs> we'll have Zads back. It's good to see. It's good to see, obviously, former A-League players and stuff like that obviously doing well in the coaching ranks. Mm. Um, obviously, good to see Carl Dodd come back to us, obviously, mm. um, I think, you know, after, after what he's learned, obviously, overseas, Guam and stuff like that. It'll be, it'll be good for us next year and stuff like that. But as you said, all, your, all the other ones that are now getting into the coaching gigs. So at the end of the day, you've got a brain for it. Let's use it at some level. I think it's great uh, just to see that change up as well. Sorry, guys. You know, there yeah. was a time when it would be – you know, and the same coaches would be the same ones bandied around. Uh, we'll get this job, get the next job, get the job after. So, you know, Richie Garcia here at Perth has done a pretty good, you know, you'd say a really good job given the circumstances being given Deansy um, there as well. You talk about Ruben now underpinning that. You've got Steve McGarry as an assistant here at yeah. Glory. Uh, McBreen, you know, like there, there's some good young, good well, young cross. We're not that young anymore, but <laughs> relatively young coaches. Uh, who are coming in, and you, you know that's that's what you want to see. You want to see more Australian coaches and yeah, and people uh, coming up through those ranks. So yeah, long may it continue. Well, that's the biggest thing, and you know, like it's just so many. You know, you name so many. You know, Labby and stuff at West Sydney still, and Labby Hayden Fox, another one. Fox, yeah, a few of the other it boys flies but under the radar. The biggest thing we had, um, we had Branko Kalina on a while back, and he brought up a really good point where he said that, you know, the new coaches coming through and stuff like that, you know, like your ex-A-League players and stuff, you know, should be coaching at the A-League. You know, you should be coaching 
you know, at this level and moving and allowing the older guys, Ernie Merricks and stuff like that, and investing their time in obviously the youth. He, that's you know that's what something he said that he would like to see is obviously the older guys going backwards, going back to the youth scenario and really re- trying to revamp youth system and stuff like that. And yeah, then basically to push through grassroots more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take take their obviously you know amount of knowledge and stuff like that to obviously youth scenario where these guys you know these are coming off the A League, these are there, these are riding it right now. You know what I mean? It's still you know you finished it ten years ago, but it's fresh in your mind and within the league. So let's give these guys a chance and move the old guys back to obviously bringing up some new talent. At Look, the end it's, of the a, day, it's yeah. that question, isn't it, guys? I mean, where do you want your best coaches? Um, yeah. you know, do, you, do you necessarily want them in the A-League when you've got what is pretty much the, the finished product? Um, yeah. Or do you actually want them when they're 10, 12, 14 years old when you can affect and, and nurture yeah. a player? So there's, there's a real investment logic across that that we, you know, as a game, you know, if we're going to talk a little bit more philosophical about trying yeah. to make sure we've got those great coaches at the appropriate age groups to, to develop because it's the only way we're going to get better as a footballing nation. Correct. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, Branko's coaching out at one of the schools or something like that. He's doing a bit of school um, coaching and stuff like that, which is good, you know. Like I said, you know, who wouldn't want to be coached by someone of his calibre and experience and, you know, the youngsters are going to listen. They're going to learn so much. Um, and that's the biggest thing, as you said, you know, we want the country, we want the league to grow, but we want obviously country to grow as well. Now youth, you know, it could, it could be doing a lot better in my opinion. Our youth, yep. you know, we had, uh, who'd we have on, who we have on the other week, Ben, where we were talking about, um, Andy Harper. Yeah. And we were talking about obviously, you know, youth products. We came from Newcastle point of view. You could obviously talk from a Perth point of view, WA point of view of, you know, grassroots youth. Uh, local, homegrown, you know what I mean? Like Newcastle, it's massive, massive mm-hmm. town, massive history with obviously some of the biggest footballing stars coming out of Australia, out of out of the Hunter, but nothing for, for ages, you know what I mean? There hasn't been, there's, it's dead currently. I don't know what it's like in Perth. Do you sort of feel the same thing? Obviously, you're coaching at Sorrento. Yeah, it's... You know, it's a hard one because we had such, you know, we've yeah. had such a talented group of players come through. Uh, um, how do you live up to your Vaduka's Kules? You know, they're they're once in a generation, once in a moon yeah. type players, and there was such a strong group of of them. Um, you know, I think that the the pathway's still there. The yeah, for me, it comes back to the the amount of football they play outside of the outside of their clubs. You know, that, that was me growing up. Would be would be my brother kicking a ball after school or watching my dad play on a weekend and finding five, six mates or just random people, wasn't even mates, that you'd go have a yeah. kick around with. And, and that was similar to a lot of those guys as they grow. For whatever reasons, you know, kids don't necessarily do that as much. There's probably more structured training. They get less opportunity just to, to play and experiment. So there's there's something to be said for that. Um, but, you know, there's – there's such a, a huge participation base that we, we can't forget either. I know there's you know a lot of focus is on the, the top end of the game and the, the pathway and so it should, but if we continue to grow that base, then you're going to get more and more talented players come through just by sheer weight of numbers. Um, and that's a real focus over here um, because we, you know, we're parochial and same as Newcastle. We want to see WA born and bred players playing for glory. 
Um, and you know, if they do that, then they're probably going to get a little bit more slack um, than than an overseas player or an, an over east player would. You know, that was certainly the case for me. I was a very very raw twenty one year old or twenty year old when I signed for for Perth Glory. Um, you know, if I hadn't been a local lad, I think I would have been booed off the pitch on a couple of games because because <laughs> of how bad I was. So, you know, it, it brings players back in, it brings fans back in and, and gets that that engagement from your your local community, which is what all clubs should be built on regardless if they're A-League or below. Yeah. It's I think a- I think coming out of Western Australia, we need more stand, stand demands. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't mind producing a few more of those, that's for sure. And I, and I didn't use him as an example purely on, based on the fact that I'm a Birmingham City supporter. <laughs> Um, it's it's a topic we can sit here and talk for hours about, obviously, the, the mm. Australian game as a whole and what needs to work and what needs to happen. You know, we've had so many past guests on here, you know, um, state that, you know, the best some of the best times in their career were obviously at the AIS. Um, you know, like, and it's just how instrumental it was at, at such a young age, you know, playing every day, you know, Playing in competitions every week it was nearly three hundred five days turnaround. It gave us our OSIC uh, golden generation. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But obviously, in nowadays, there's nothing like that. Your your youth systems for your A League clubs, you know, whether it, it's not the same. You know, they they play sixteen, eighteen matches, and then it's done. Did and then they've got to wait till the next A League season. Or whatever it is, you know. What I mean, or find another local club, or whatever. Um, is where you know it's just the biggest thing. You know, we've had past players that are still overseas and everything else. Uh, you know, we spoke to Jason Kleiner and stuff, and yeah, you know, same thing. You know, like it's just it's not this Europe. It's not the same as Europe. You know what I mean? Where they just play all the time. They can easily take a trip to another European country, and that's where they'll have little tournament. Is where here. It's not that simple, you know. We can't just go, righto. We're going to have team New South Wales, and we're going to travel to Perth, or we're just going to we're going to travel to Brisbane. And it's like every, you know, I mean, an every week thing. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's hard to see where where we need to improve. Um, what, what's your thoughts on the second division? Do, do you see that happening sooner rather than later? I would love to. Um, I'm certainly, you know, I'm a big believer. If you look at any football pathway in the world outside of probably, you know, USA and, and one or two others like that, promotion relegation is is an integral part of football. Um, it's it's not a franchise model as such. There's got to be the ability to do well and to succeed, and there's got to be the ability to to when you do badly to to fall out. Um, so I would like to see that done. It, it is difficult just given the breadth of our country, the costs that are involved, um, and, and making sure first and foremost that the A-League is and continues to be a commercially successful model because um, like it or not, the you know we need the dollars to be there. We need the eyes on the product to, to continue to try and grow the game um, outside of our participation base, which is our sport's greatest strength and, and unmatched by, by virtually any other sport. Um, it's just got, it's got to be carefully constructed. We, you know, we've got a twelve-month calendar at the moment, which is full of football, and it's something that most other countries don't have. Um, we probably don't exploit that enough, in my mind, um, and do it well enough to make sure that that stays relevant for people across 
the 12 months. Um, yep. But yeah, I would, I would love to see a second division coming because then it, it starts to really give value to, yep. to uh, you know, to who finishes down the bottom of the A League. If you're, if you're at the, you know, in the last one or two, it's not about blooding kids then for the next season. It's about well, we need to win to stay in this, um, in this competition. I think that'll add real. Uh, Grittiness to, to those end of season games for those clubs that aren't involved in finals. Um, it gives more players an opportunity to play at a higher level as well, which is a good thing. Gives more coaches opportunities. Um, it's just it's making sure that it's it's sustainable and it's a long term thing that we can we can use. And that's the the biggest uh, problem, I suppose, or the challenge uh, that the game will have is how to you know how, how do you manage it is it a east west conference is it north south how many games yeah. you play and it's it's a challenge but there's yeah there's certainly an appetite from uh, all over the game from football australia down to try and make it happen which i think is uh, is a good thing it's just making sure those conversations are across what uh, why we're doing it what's the best part of it for the game uh, you know the good of the game mm-hmm. type stuff and yep. and building out a, a model that's that looks uh, and encapsulates, you know, the traditional elements of the game that we've had for so long, um, and tying that in with with the future. Yeah, no, 100%. I think Ben and I have said it on numerous occasions. Yeah, my only, yeah, sort of concern is just the the just watching the A League. You watch obviously your MPL players, and they take that step from the MPL to the A League. It, it's massive. You know what I mean? It's not like a little step it's not like oh yeah cool no worries i've been lucky enough to get a contract by the jets and you walk in there and it's the same you know what i mean it is such a big step going from what you've been doing for the last say couple of years or whatever at local mpl and then you go into that it is so many players that i feel just they don't make it you know what i mean they don't cut it they get they sign that six-month contract or whatever and then they quickly back to the mpl just because it's you know um so that way, it's like that's for me is the biggest thing. It's the hardest thing to my mind. It's how can we, how can we progress that, um, that's that step to be not as big. Second division would help that, um, in my mind, but also it would help obviously some of your probably your A League players that are on their way out. You know whether that be old or um, just, you know have been really lacking game time because of injuries and stuff like that. You know, you bring him back down to that second division, and then it's it's almost like a seniority thing. You know, oh wow, you know. Uh, I suppose we could use Ben. We could use um, Ben Kenoski. It's a it's a it's a great example of that. You know, legend at the club at Newcastle, homegrown talent, but injury prone at the moment. He's struggling to get on the pitch. Um, you know, someone for him, I think, going back a step would be, I don't know, might rejuvenate. The remainder of his career, we don't, I don't know, um, but yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. That second division, it's how how early do you do it? Risky thing, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it needs investment from the clubs. It needs you know clubs to be able oh. to stand up and like you know. I'm not sure about Newcastle, but certainly from a Western Australian point of view, you know, we don't have pokies or, or gaming in clubs yeah. over mm-hmm. here, so you're, you're yeah. losing a source of revenue. They don't have restaurants attached to them like some of the bigger clubs in. In New South Wales and Victoria, um, and the other thing you've got to remember is that football's still a brutal game as well. So oh. you know you're talking about players stepping up and and not being able to make the grade. You know, unfortunately, that's just that's par for the course. Um, if you if you're not good enough, then or you're not able to adapt because there's certainly 
plenty of players who've stepped up who've had the potential and the talent to be able to do so, but for whatever reason, haven't, whether that's, um, you know, physical, whether that's mental, um, strength of character, you know, that's, we, I think we've got to be careful that we don't um, try and soften the game too much either because it, it's, a, it's a brutal world. Um, you, yeah. You're a commodity as a player and, and as a coach as well. And if you don't do the job, you're not. But I think there's been enough success stories. And just look at Perth Glory this year. You've got Luke Bodnar who stepped up, had a season uh, in the local league. Um, Callum Timmons, Daniel Steins, you know, three young players who were previously in and around the A-League squads, stepped out for a, a year or two. And have been brought back in and, and arguably some of Glory's best players in the last few weeks as well. So there's, I think there's talent there, certainly. Um, it's, it is it's how we can close the gap from our MPL or, or second division then to A-League. But, you know, there's an element there of the individual players just have to take, take it on board, step up. Um, yeah, because yeah. This, is your, this is your livelihood. This is their dream on the line. And it's, it's never a nice thing being told you're not good enough and you know I've, I've got that a few times over years usually from your own supporters but um you know that's that's the world we live in that's the reality of professional sport a hundred percent hundred percent well um as i said mate we do thank you for coming on and giving up um as i said an hour of your time obviously to talk a bit of football and stuff we are going to slowly close it down we virtually just a couple of quick ones i'll virtually give, give you the question just sort of a yes and no real short quick fires uh, yeah, quick fire sort of ones, obviously. Um, but before I do that, there is obviously one thing. There's one. It's hard for me to say this. Um, we've got to talk about the A League Legends match. Now, <laughs> now, I'm a diehard Liverpool fan, so yeah, <laughs> I know you're a United fan. I know you you've grown up supporting. Uh, the Red Devils and stuff like that. What was that like playing against, obviously, some of the players that, you know, you watched um, through your childhood? Um, you know, obviously, uh, what's his Shit, gone blank now. Who was coaching there at the time? Who, who coached that match um, for them, bloody? Brian Robson, I think, was Robson. the coach. Robson, yes. yeah. Yeah, Robson. Um, so, obviously, you know, freaking just a legend. If Paul Scholes, Dwight York, stuff like that in the squad. Um, what was it like, mate? How, how how did it come about? Was it just simple, I don't know, email or something like that? Do you want to play or? Yeah, it, it <laughs> was. Did it, you have to bang down doors? No, no, it was, it was pretty much like that. It, I suppose it helps sometimes knowing people in, in high places. Um, obviously came through the, the Dylan Tom Beatty's foundation uh, yeah. and I've, you know, such a worthy, worthy cause. Um it was actually Simon Clossum, I, uh, who I played with at Glory, was the I think still the PFA uh, president or something at the time. Um, yeah, just gave me a ring out of the blue and said, "Oh, we're organising a game against the United Legends. You fancy a run?" Um, and you know, obviously, you know, the answer is yes. There's, there's nothing yeah. else that you can say. But you know, I mean, while the game was was an awesome experience, just you know, being able to spend time. Uh, you know, the, both teams were put up at a hotel. Um, Able to mingle, you know. I've got about seven shirts lined from my collection <laughs> by the by the guys. Um, and yeah, you know, just just good people. I, I remember after the game, and, and you know, Robbie Dunn was coaching ex soccer and you know, WA product. He only put me on for the last fifteen minutes because he worried about my ankle, which I was devastated about. But <laughs> but that's probably all I could last anyway. Um, and I went up to Mikhail Sylvester and asked for his shirt, um, and he he said, "Look, I don't know. Sorry, I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to give it away or not." 
Mm. And so I walked off, gutted, you know, some of the other boys got shirts and stuff like that. I said, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And uh, about 15, 20 minutes later, got a, there was a knock on the change room door. Um, their kit man came in and said, you know, well, I think I was number five on the night or number two. Oh, uh, here, this is from uh, Mikhail. Um, and so he'd obviously gone in, asked a question, yeah. found out, and, and you just think, you know, they're just normal people. They're, they're decent decent people. Oh, yeah. So that that was a, a yeah. great touch. But then the probably the overwhelming one was the, the night afterwards, and I'm not trying to make light of, of drinking or anything like that, but I still remember leaving uh, one of the establishments and Brian Robson at whatever age he was then or is okay. now going very, very strong uh, yeah. while, well, you know, the rest of us have slinked off to bed because we're absolutely knackered and had enough and, and Robbo was still there, uh, uh, you know, being the life and just solid as a rock. But uh, <laughs> I, I grew up idolising Robbo. He was my, my childhood hero to to get a photo, to spend a bit of time. And when he came on towards the end of the game, you know, straight away, I was like, all right, whatever Robbo wants to do, Robbo does. You're not allowed to be tackled. Uh, you know, don't go near him. Make it look like you're trying to do but you don't touch him, uh, and it was just yeah, awe-inspiring to be able to share the pitch with with some of those players. It, it's it was a dream come true. Yeah, I, I believe um, Scolzi only lasted about twenty minutes. Yeah, like ping his groin or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. yes, and he's groin early and stuff like that. I'm like, oh Jesus! <laughs> you yeah. yeah, waiting for Dwight York and that just to fall over. And but um, but yeah, good good to see. Obviously, those guys coming out. Yeah. As you, as you said, for yeah, of course. Um, right, yeah, so we're going to quickly end it up. I'm just going to fire some questions at you. Give us your answer. And, um, yeah, shut up with that. Um, w League, what are your thoughts on the W League? What needs to be improved? Yeah, I mean, it needs to go to a full home and away season for starters. Um, we, you know, this should be one of the top leagues in the world. We need the investment to, to back that. It's got a fantastic place. There, but uh, yeah, certainly as a as a minimum full home and away season. I'm, as a coach in it, and you scour the fixtures to see which team you got twice and which one you only got once. That's that's not the way we should be running it. So that would be my first thing. Absolutely. Um, Women's World Cup, two thousand and twenty three. Your thoughts? How do we? Um, what do you want to see out of that? What do you want to see come out of that? Um, I suppose a, a long lasting. Um, change in public perception of what the world game is. I still don't think people quite get it. Uh, when, you know, you speak about the Women's World Cup and they're like, oh, yeah, that, that's nice. You know, I'm sure it'll be a, you know, a, a good event. You go, no, it's, you know, it's the second second biggest footballing event in the world. Mm. Um, you know, it ranks just behind the Olympics and other things in terms of viewership of people attending. Um, so I just hope that shifts the, you know, the popular thought across how big our game actually is or or isn't in some regards and that there is a you know as much as I love Australia and I'm very proud Australian as well there is a world outside of Australia that uh, some people just haven't quite grasped yet uh, of how big our game actually is absolutely um using this week world cup to every two years yes or no 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 chance <laughs> exactly um, I know that you're currently with Fox Sports, all so we'll take it easy and so forth. Um, broadcasting rights, do you think Fox still have it? Uh, I know as much as what I read in the papers yeah. and get yeah. told. Um, uh, I think, you know, without the, without Fox Sports and there wouldn't have been an A-League to start with, I think they've been a tremendous supporter um, if they're going to make sure they invest into 
what they need to do to make the competition successful, that would be great. I also think we'd still need free-to-air coverage, and I, I, you know that comes at a commercial risk and at a cost, I suppose. But um, may the best company win. May they spend many, many dollars so that it can be reinvested back into the game. Agreed. Absolutely. Last two, uh, A-League in 10 years. What do you want to see the A-League in 10 years? A-League in 10 years. Um, promotion, relegation, um, ab- abolition of the salary cap uh, and the ability for you know a Leicester City fairy tale or for whoever else to get up from wherever they are to go through and, and win the A-League. I'm not sure that one will quite happen with ground requirements and what have you, but um, just, yeah, for it to... For, that to be a fully functioning football, the top of the football pyramid, um, and to be a huge commercial success so we can continue to grow the game. Yep. Final one, and I know only going back from a, doing a bit of reading and so forth from a little segment I've seen in 2018 where you came into a bit of argy-bargy with um, Sasha in regards to the VAR. What are your thoughts on the VAR? Uh, I'd get rid of it. I don't, uh, I'm not a fan. If the game is there because, you know, players make errors, coaches make errors, referee make errors. It, it's, it takes away the, the tension, the joy of scoring a goal. Um, and we don't, you know, it's still for a lot of them, it's still a pretty um, subjective type thing. It's, you know, is it a red card or not? Well, I say yes, you say no. And that's the beauty of it. So, uh, the only one I'd say is over the ball, over the goal line technology. I'm quite happy for that. That's an yeah. absolute black and white um, measuring the tips and shoulders of players that are offside and what have you. I'm not, oh, yeah, no, yeah. not for me. I'll take these last two in the chat. Uh, Benny's just said, where do you put your pineapples then on a Friday night if you can't put them into a poker machine? <laughs> <laughs> They usually go on the uh, on the horses or something instead. <laughs> good, very good. Um, <coughs> da, 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 da. Oh. Who is the other one? No, no, it's a Villa Villarreal to win the um, Europa. Yes or no? <laughs> no, no. <definitely laughs> glory, glory, man, United. It's- now, muchly appreciated, mate. We do thank you for jumping on um, and, as you see, as giving up a little bit of time. Talk a bit of football, mate. Muchly appreciated. No, it's been my pleasure. Thanks very much, guys. No, thank no worries, you. Mate. Enjoy the rest of your night and, um, yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Take it easy, mate.